My name is Josh Rice. I'm a community group leader here at Outward and uh, a professor here at Corbin. And I am so honored to address you as my brothers and sisters today. You're all amazed by what Jesus has done, and that's why we're here. I didn't even start, I'm already crying, great. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're here. We're gonna look at 1 John. I think there's just some wondrous truths in here. I've titled this, uh, this sermon, um, Truth Abiding. I almost went with the Big Lebowski, The Truth Abides, but I didn't know if that would be considered appropriate. So, um, and the reason why I went with Truth Abiding is because there's a couple levels of this working here. What we're gonna see in this passage is that truth abides in us when we have Jesus, that allows us to abide with the church because we're unified by his blood, and we actively abide in Christ until we're with him forever. Isn't that great? That's the good news is the abiding is always there. So let's look at that. I'm going to pray real quickly, and then we'll unpack this. Jesus, thank you that you are Lord of all. Thank you that you deserve all praise and honor and glory. There's no one like you. You're one of a kind, Jesus. Thank you that you have shed your blood, that you've died for us, and that we get to walk in newness of life. Help me, God, as I examine the scriptures today. Would I be wise? Would my words ring true because they're full of you? In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go to 1 John 2.18. Now, the first thing you might want to do when Katie was reading that, and that we heard Antichrist in last hour, your first move might be, aha, end times prophecy. We're going to get some beasts coming out of the sea, and it's going to be apocalyptic and epic. That's not actually what happens in the passage. So what's interesting here is that John means something different when he talks about the Antichrist and when he talks about this being uh, the last hour in verse 18. Now, John is not a stranger to apocalyptic prophecy. John wrote the book of Revelation, right? So when we're reading this, something interesting happens. John steps up to what could be an apocalyptic uh, phrase and says, last hour, he uses the word antichrist, and then he proceeds to talk about people leaving the church. That's not what you'd expect, is it? But listen to what he says here. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So what he's saying is that we see the presence of the Antichrist when people leave the church. Now, I don't actually mean outward. I mean the church universal the church stretching back to the church of Paul, the church of Peter, the church that began with the disciples. One thing that's really cool, um, I teach history at Corbin, and one thing that blows me away about Christianity, one of the reasons I'm a believer, is because it's so rich and it hasn't changed. So let me give you an example. Um, uh, probably the best book written on William Wilberforce, who helped abolish the slave trade, uh, the author of that book argues that in 1800, 75% of the world was not free. Whether you're a slave, whether you're a peon, some sort of peasant in fuel dues, 75% of the world in 1800, 200 years ago, were not free. Let me give you another one. Um, before the 1300s, we have no examples of written music. The idea that you could have two people singing similar lines that match what we call harmony, that's invented in the 1500s. Music is not that old. 
You know how old the gospel of Jesus is? It goes right back to the beginning. In fact, it's older than crop rotation. That's from the 300s. So this is old, and what's unified the church forever is preaching Jesus, Son of God, God fully and fully man, crucified for us, taking our sins, rising again and giving us his righteousness so we can live fully new lives and we will join him in heaven. That's the old story. It's never changed. When we meet together and when we sing, that's not new either. Paul talks about singing hymns together. We know the disciples sang hymns, so that's not new. And Paul instructs people in the, in the New Testament to make sure you read the word together, the preaching and teaching of the word. So that's not new either. So welcome. This is super old-fashioned, you guys. This is older than the fall of Rome. We're doing something very ancient, gathered around Jesus, the revelation of God for us. This is what antichrist means. Antichrist in the Greek is literally the opposed to Christ, the antichrist. It's literal. He's not talking about some last time thing here. He's saying instead that any opposition to Jesus Christ tells us we're in the last hour and we're waiting. Now, this should hit kind of heavy to us. When you have a disagreement with your brother or your sister, when you have hatred in your heart, you are allowing Antichrist to corrupt your relationships. Do you hear me? So this is, the, this is the difficulty. This is not some, oh, well, watch out for the Antichrist because he's got 666 on him. We're not doing that here. This is when people break relationships in the church, that is the power of Satan at work. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 20. But, or sorry, 19 rather, but they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they'd been of us, they would have continued. So what John's also saying here is that you know Antichrist because people leave and they depart the faith. When we are rooted in Christ, we stay. We stay in that church that's ancient. We stay in the church that's been loving and worshiping Jesus forever. But they went out, this is the end of verse 19, that it might become plain, plain that they all are not of us. Verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Notice what's happening here. John is talking about this fundamental division between us and them. If anyone tells you Christianity is not exclusive, well, uh, there's a lot of reasons they're wrong, but here's one. There's us and them, and the division is stark. And why he's saying that is because people who are believers abide in the church. Believers, people who love Jesus, stay in the body of Christ because they have to be there. Scripture tells us that we must be with our brothers and sisters because they build us up. They encourage us. They challenge us. They call out sin. So if you're not in the church, friend, you need to be very worried. Maybe you are, have not turned your life over to Jesus. When people say things, boy, you've all heard this. Well, I'm kind of in between churches right now, kind of church shopping. I'm looking around. Okay, that is from the pit. I'm not saying you have to be at outward. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is the believer is, I'm going to use a big word here, ontologically. That means being. By your nature, you must be in relationship with other believers because you are joined by them, joined to them in Jesus' blood. It's impossible for you not to be in the church. It cannot happen. If you are not in the church, what does John say? That it, there might become plain that they all are not of us. That's a hard teaching. 
But I want to encourage you, when you are struggling with your brothers and sisters, because guess what? We're all sinners, right? The wonderful thing about the church is we're all sinners, broken people who hack each other off and do all sorts of dumb things, and Jesus keeps us here. So who does the work in the abiding? Jesus does. I can't do it. I screw up all the time, and you do too. Jesus makes the abiding happen in you and for you, keeping us together. So that's the exciting news. Let's go to verse 20, and we see how this works. But you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. So the anointing that we get from the Holy Spirit gives us knowledge about the things of God. Um, In fact, uh, Paul writes that the man in the flesh cannot please God. You can't do the things that, make God, that makes God happy if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your heart. If you don't believe in Jesus, it's impossible. It's never been done. Here's the exciting thing. What is the church supposed to be? If we just learn that people are leaving it if they're not of the church, what does this anointing do? Let's look at Ephesians. I'll give my big uh, uh, hand off the sign, guys. Let's look at Ephesians, um, Ephesians 2 real quickly. Ephesians 2.17. What is the church supposed to look like? If we know the church is defined by people who stay and there are people who go, what's the church for? We're all sinners. We keep screwing up. Why are we here? Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, he being Christ, and peace to those who are near. For through Christ, through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens... But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. There's so much here. After studying this, it's like, dang, why aren't we doing Ephesians? But that's okay. 1 John's great too. Um, What's neat here is look at how, how Paul talks about strangers and aliens. We were not friends. In fact, we were enemies and we were enemies of God. But now we're friends and now we're citizens and we're members of the family of God with the saints. That's right. Paul is actually your brother. Or King David. King David is your brother in Jesus Christ. The great King David who writes most of the Psalms. That's amazing. He's literally your brother. He's not above you. Why? Because who's the cornerstone? Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. It's all set together on him. Verse 21. The cornerstone Jesus in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is an amazing verse. You know what this means? In the Old Testament, if you want to meet with God, you would go into the temple in the church that God is building. When you walk into the church, you will meet God. Is that exciting? He's not out there. He's not distant. He's here. Because we're unified by Christ. I'm 10 minutes in, I'm sorry. Verse 22. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what is the church? The church is defined by people who are staying together because they're being made into a building where God's presence is. Quick tip. What is heaven? It's being in the presence of God forever. So this is a foretaste, right? There's that old hymn, this is a foretaste of glory divine. That's it, this right now, the church. We're going to have a barbecue, and, or brisket rather. It's going to be awesome. That's some foretaste of heaven divine too, but anyways. Um, right, let's go back to First John. 
So we know that the church is defined by this connection. God is there. Let's look at what we know. This is verse 20. But you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. What do we know? I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And now he's going to get back to the Antichrist thing. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. This tells us a lot here. When we, I think because we're Westerners, we're kind of post-enlightenment folks, we tend to think in very abstract terms about truth, right? There's true things and false things, right? You know, if the temperature inside is a certain degree, that's true or false. It either is that degree or not, right? We think in binary terms. It's true and falsity. This is not what John's getting at. He is in some ways, but that's not exactly what he means. He's actually talking about truth being defined by one's relationship to God. Let me give you an example. If that's truth, so let me state that as, a, as an assertion. John believes that your relationship to God is defined by truth, or it's a lie. So then let's ask, okay, what does a lie relationship with God look like? I'm going to go to Romans 1.25. In Romans 1, Paul lays out this colossal bit of theology where he explains why human beings are broken. He explains what the fall has done to us. He talks about why human beings are sinners and why we screw up. And then he says this in verse 20, 25. He's talking about all the sins people do, that we do, by the way. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. In Greek, it's actually closer to the lie, singular. There's one lie one lie and there's one truth. They exchanged the truth about God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So according to Paul, what's the number one thing you get right or wrong? What's the thing that's true or false? What do you believe about God? What's your relationship to God? So back to 1 John. When you've been anointed by the Holy One, by the way, what does that mean to be anointed by the Holy One? That's when the Holy Spirit resides in your heart. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. If you hear someone who says, well, if you don't speak in tongues, you may not be, that's not true. In fact, you want the work of the Holy Spirit mostly is? It's that you believe. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that's because the Holy Spirit has communicated his beauty and glory to you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has already worked an amazing miracle in your heart. He's already been working. So if someone says some weird thing about you need to prophesy, or you need to be a pastor, or you need to speak in tongues to be a Christian, that's false. That's not true. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Do you see how John's using truth here? When you know Jesus, there's this knowledge you have that you didn't get. You've been anointed by the Holy One. So this is not a true-false assertion. You're not like, I believe the correct thing. You've been anointed. You've been given over to, the Holy, to, to, to Christ through the Holy Spirit. So if you are one who is in Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit, you already know the truth. This is what's amazing. We get to the end of the passage, John will even say, you don't even need anyone to teach you because you already have the truth. The beauty of the Christian life, friends, is that literally if you love Jesus, you have everything you need for life right now and for eternity already. There's nothing else you need. You're totally ready. 22, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Now, I think sometimes 
in our culture, and I'm going to talk about tolerance, so get ready to throw some stuff if you like. Um, I think in our culture, we are very prone to want to be more tolerant, to want to support other faiths. That might be a lot more handy. Honestly, guys, like, I, I, as an academic, I run in high circles. I talk with lots of other academic folks who are mostly atheists. I really wish I could just say, hey, it's all good. Yeah, I just love God, whatever that looks like. Maybe it's like a floaty thing. Maybe it's on an elephant, whatever. Whatever thing is, it's good. That is not allowed to us scripturally. Who is the liar? Back to Romans 1. Remember, there's one lie. What's the lie? Denying the Father and the Son. And who's the liar? He who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Can't make it any clearer for you than that. If you think there's another route to Jesus, the Bible says you are believing the lie. If you're new today, welcome. <laughs> this is hard, you guys. Again, I want, to, I want you to know I struggle with this. I wish it were easier. But Scripture tells us there's one revelation, it's only through Jesus Christ, and there's no other way except through Him. That's the scriptural truth. And remember I told you you don't need anything new? Look at verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. The thing you first got when you believed in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit entered your heart and made you new, you've already got it. It's abiding in you. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Isn't that exciting? If what you got when you became a Christian is there, and it is if you ever became a Christian. By the way, you can't lose your salvation. I'm not going to go on to a whole thing about it. But if you ever believe in Jesus, you will always trust him and know him. That's why the beginning of this passage works. If you could hop into the church and believe Jesus and then be like, eh, kind of bored with Jesus, you were never a believer because believers abide. In fact, later in 1 John, he'll say that if you're a Christian, you cannot keep on sinning because the Holy Spirit continues to teach you. We're being made new creations. If you're not being made a new creation, you're not a Christian. And you need to reach out to Jesus and ask to be saved, and you can do it right now. Let me talk a little more about this denial of Jesus as the Christ. I think sometimes, again, this is, you know, we live in America. Most people are monotheistic. We believe in one God. That is not getting us close to where we need to be, okay? I can't count the number of times I've had a friend, like at a, a small group or something, say, like, I'm talking with a person, and they believe in God. You know, we're having conversations. That's great. Keep having the conversations. But don't mistake believing in God for being anything that will save you from the flames that Scripture talks about. Here's why. If you guys look in James, I'm not going to flip there, but in James... James says, do you believe there is one God? Good. But this is meant to be sarcastic. He's like, yeah, like it's not supposed to be serious. You believe there's one God? All righty then. The demons believe that and shudder is what the verse says. So if you believe there's one God and that's all you believe, you think like Satan does. You believe like the demons do. That's a hard word. Do you see why John says you've got to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. If you believe anything else, the best you've got is Satan's theology. And Satan's theology will, turns out, not get you where you want to go. Instead, verse 24, let what, hurt, what, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. 
If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is what Jesus says. He says, I'm the way and the truth and the life, right? Anyone who knows Christ knows the Father. If you know Father God, you know Jesus. You can't separate them. It's impossible. It's the Trinity, right? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're one God. You can't have one-third of it. It's impossible because God is one God. Now, what's exciting about this? Verse 25, and this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. The exciting thing about faith in Jesus is that we don't do anything for it. Now, there are times when we'll talk about living in righteousness, obedience, defeating sin, attacking our doubts. That is great stuff. That is not what the passage is about right here, I don't think. And the other thing I'll say is that's what theologians call sanctification, being made more holy. Sanctification comes next. The first thing you need in your life is not to be a better person. You need Jesus to take over your heart. You can't do anything that's good enough to make God happy unless Jesus is in your life. And if Jesus is in your life, you can't do anything that will separate you from the love of God. That's what's amazing. Do you see why John uses this binary, it's one or the other? If you aren't believing in Jesus, every little thing you do will be part of your damnation, friends. And every little thing you will answer for. That's heavy. But if you trust in Jesus, every wrong thing you've ever done will not matter because when you get to the judgment seat, he will look at Jesus Christ and say, Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He did exactly what I desired, what people must do to be in life, and you will be entering the presence of the Father forever. Do you get how stark that is? That's why Scripture in Revelation, written by John, talks about sheep and goats. There's no middle way. Um, in my studies, uh, I, I study American religion, and one thing that I think is amazing about Christianity is it's a profoundly irreligious message. Here's what I mean. Relig in Latin means a way or a, a standard. It's kind of like, it's similar to the word rigor. It's a thing you do, okay? So let's say if you're a Buddhist, you're trying to achieve nirvana, you have to get rid of your desires because they throw you off, right? You've got to strip your life away so you only care about the thing that matters, which is enlightenment. Everything else distracts you. Hinduism, you have to follow a certain path called um, moksha to get released from the cycle of reincarnation. You've got to do certain things to meet the standards so you can get away from being born as an ant or something sucky like that. That's the story. Okay? In Islam, you need to follow the five pillars. I'm spitting everywhere. Sorry, this is the splash zone up here. Um, in Islam, you have to follow the five pillars of the faith. There are certain things you must do to fit the commands of God. Christianity is nothing like those systems because Christianity says when the anointing comes to you, verse 20, when you believe in the Holy Spirit and you are, believe in Jesus and you're anointed by the Holy Spirit, you are immediately fully a believer with nothing else in front of you. Now, we mature and we grow, but literally everything you have as a baby Christian is what you will have with you when you are in glory. That will absolutely be the same, okay? This is so exciting, you guys. What if we had to work hard enough to make God happy? What if we had to do the right thing all the time? We can't do it. This is why Jesus says, you guys maybe remember the verse, my, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. That actually comes from Jewish teaching. At the time, when you go to a Jewish teacher, you'd say, what's your yoke, rabbi? 
Meaning, what's the thing I have to put on to carry to do your thing, to follow your way, to meet your teaching? And Jesus says, my burden's light. My yoke is easy. Because you don't do it. Who carries the burden of your faith? Jesus Christ does. So that's why we're free. That's why we sing and celebrate and play awesome rock music because we can't help but shout how great our God is and what an amazing thing he's done. Verse 25. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I'm not really going to get into it here. It comes later in 1 John, 1 John uh, 3 and 4. But I think the best way to think about eternal life, I said it's being in the presence of God, it's also having the life of Christ in you and with you. We are experiencing little bits of eternal life already. That, that sounds weird, but what I mean is the foreverness of Jesus, his characters and has Jesus ever changed? Jesus has always been God. He's always been glorious and wonderful and beautiful and righteous. Those characteristics of Jesus that we're being given as the Holy Spirit makes us more like him are never going to pass away. This is why Paul writes, you know, I think it's in Timothy, where he says, you know, physical training, you know, for those of you who are like, you know, I have, a, I have the, the body graduate school gave me, so I'm not in this category. But for those of you who work out a lot, Paul says physical training is of some value, but a much greater value is training in godliness because that never leaves. One day you're not going to be in great shape anymore, and one day you'll be uh, in you know, the box shape, and that's going to be it. But if you believe in Jesus, all the things he's done in your spirit, all the things he's done in your life, all the ways he's changed you are going with you into glory. I don't even know, <laughs> I don't even know totally what that means. There's a guy at my church growing up, his name was Dwayne, Dwayne Root. And Dwayne was um, probably mentally handicapped. He was illiterate, he could not sign his name. And he was a mechanic. He'd go to cars, this is back you know, in, the, in the 70s and 80s when you know, the computers didn't do everything yet, and he could literally put a screwdriver on the top of an engine and watch how it vibrated and know what was wrong with the engine. Now, that's a man that could, he couldn't even read this passage, but the little bit he knew loved Jesus. And this is the mystery in it. I don't, because I know Dwayne is the guy who can't read. I know Dwayne is the guy who's challenged. What will it look like when he's in glory made whole? I don't know. Will I recognize him? Will I have to be like, wait, Dwayne, that's you? I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But what I do know is every bit of him, every bit of Dwayne that loved Jesus is going to be, it's called flower, like a huge bush, you know, that mustard seed is going to explode in heaven. I'll be like, that was what I couldn't see because of his frailness and brokenness. It was already there, that big plant, that flower growing out of his little faith. You follow me? If your faith feels little, don't despair. Just wait for Jesus to continue watering that faith and you'll grow into something beautiful and gorgeous that the day of Christ will be revealed in its full beauty. Let's talk real quickly. What does it mean when we say, if I'm saying that Jesus is God and I'm talking about believing the right things, what does that mean? What is Jesus like? What, what does it mean to believe in him? Let's go to, uh, I've got a bunch of, this is, these are, this is my note system. They're just like, go here. All right. Very helpful note system I got. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Paul writes this. How do you know if you're a Christian? Therefore, I want you to understand 
that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. If you in your heart say Jesus is Lord and you believe that's true, even if back to Dwayne Root, even if you're like, what does it mean that Jesus is God? I don't know. By the way, the Trinity is mysterious and beautiful and glorious. And if you think you know exactly how it works, you probably don't. <laughs> um, this is why the church has argued and wrestled about how to, how to talk about God forever. We're going to argue until we see him what exactly God is fully like. But we know enough to say, if you can say Jesus is Lord, the Holy Spirit is in your heart. You're a believer. You can be assured of your salvation because you know Jesus is Lord. And if you know him, who else do you know? You know the Father. Do you see how it's, you can't disconnect it? I think Scripture's fun because it's circular. If you're talking with someone in a logic class, they'll say, well, that's circular reasoning. It doesn't work. Scripture's always circular. If you believe in Jesus, you get the Father. If you believe in the Father, it's because you know him through Jesus Christ. If you believe that he has saved you, you've already been saved, and all the things you've done wrong don't matter. You've been cleansed of them. Are you following me here? You can't separate these things. They all go together. Let me get a couple more. This is just like fun stuff. I just wanted to talk about how glorious Jesus is. What do I mean when I say Jesus is Lord? This is 1 Timothy 3, uh, was it 3, uh, 16. He was manifested in the flesh. Jesus came, born as a baby, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world like we are right now, and taken up into glory. Jesus is with the Father right now ruling. Don't believe me? Let's go to Hebrews 1. If you ever want to cry on a public bus like I did one time when I was about 22, go read all of Hebrews in one sitting when you're going somewhere. It's just absolutely will dominate your spirit. It's so great. Hebrews 1. I'm just give you the first four, four verses. That's my teaser to go read it more later. I love how, how Hebrews begins. We think it's written by Paul, but we don't know for sure. But listen to this beginning. It's great. Long ago, at many times and in many ways. Isn't that like a movie trailer or something? Long ago. You know, it's good. Anyways. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So you get what's happening here? Who helped create the world? Jesus did. He's God. He's nothing else. He's, he, he, excuse me, he is also man. But I'm saying he's absolutely God. There's actually a heresy that John was fighting where people were like, well, Jesus is mostly God, or he's 75% God. If you want to get into the history of it, some people believe Jesus wasn't God, and then he was so good that God said, eh, here's a little godness before you die, because you're doing a good job. That's all heretical. That's from the pit. That's not true. Jesus was in the beginning creating, which means he's what? If he's before creation, he is God. So he's also appointed heir. So Jesus is not only God who creates, he's also God who rules. He's God who has inherited everything from his Father. Verse 3. I love this verse. This is amazing. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What an amazing verse. There's actually a, a, a Buddhist sutra. I'm, I'm playing off this. I'm not, I'm not supporting it. There's a Buddhist sutra that if you find the Buddha, kill him. Because the idea is, if you see him, then you might just know how to do the right thing, and you wouldn't have to figure it out on your own, and you've got to do it on your own. So if you find the Buddha, kill him. Opposite truth in Christianity. 
He is the exact imprint of God's nature. So what's God like? Look at Jesus. There's not some veil. You're not separated from the truth. When you see Jesus in the scriptures, when you hear him from a brother speaking, when you feel the Holy Spirit in your heart, you are experiencing the very character of God. Isn't that amazing? In the Old Testament, what happens if you see God? You get struck dead. There are stories in the Old Testament of people who accidentally touch the ark because it's falling off a cart, and God instantly kills them because they're unclean people. They can't touch something holy like the ark. That holiness that would strike us dead is perfectly mirrored in the imprint of Jesus. So when I look at Jesus, I can see every glorious thing that Jesus is, his love, his mercy towards me, and yet I stand. Isn't that amazing? I can see exactly what God is like, and I can live. That is the mystery of the revelation of Jesus Christ to you and to me. Verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Remember I told you the heresies? People are saying, well, Jesus was sort of God. Uh, one of the classic moves people made in this early period, uh, they're the, called the Gnostics. We've talked about this before. One Gnostic heresy was that Jesus didn't have a physical body. And the idea was, well, the physical body's kind of gross, which, okay, that's true. But he's like, the physical body, the physical world's kind of nasty and sinful, and God would never put on flesh. That's, ew, that's gross. Jesus must have been fully a spirit. If that's true, Jesus didn't suffer for your sins. He was just kind of hanging out on the cross. So I really hope that Jesus was on the cross. And we know, in fact, that he had a body. Uh, if we read uh, earlier in 1 John and later, he's going to mention specifically, actually, I'm going to go there because I said it. And uh, in 1 John 1, he says, this is what we've heard from the beginning, which we've touched with our hands. This Jesus came in the flesh. And so to the Gnostics who said, ooh, what time would God come to earth? That's gross. Scripture says, that's, the, that's amazing. God, holy, forever you know, exalted, came and took on this. What type of God would do that? That's crazy. That can't be true. But that's true. That's what Scripture tells us. And that's why he's saying, I write this. All those people deceiving you, don't listen to them. Jesus came fully man, fully God. Verse 27. But the anointing that you receive from him, from Christ, abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. <laughs> I love that. As, as a professor, my job is to teach, and I feel like I'm doing that here, but you can't understand anything I'm saying or that Matt Porter or Baldwin, anyone who's preaching to you, none of it will make any sense unless the anointing is already on you. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you know exactly what I mean. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in your heart, if you don't believe in Jesus, I am speaking Greek up here. You have no idea what I'm saying because you need the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you're not even actually hearing my teaching. You're hearing the Holy Spirit say, Josh is an idiot, that didn't make sense, but this is what I mean. The Holy Spirit translates my message to you so you hear what's accurate. That's why like... Uh, I probably every sermon, I bet, we say something that's not quite right, something bordering that's like, no, nah, I shouldn't have said it that way. But as a believer, you're still going to walk away and say, wow, my heart was encouraged because the Holy Spirit said, this is the gem you need today. Isn't that the way God works when we read his scripture, when we go to sermons? We often don't get the thing we are looking for, but we got the thing we needed. That's the Holy Spirit saying, you read 20 verses, here's the one you need today. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in your heart. 
Here's the next part of the verse. But, and this is what I mean, the Holy Spirit, as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. So His anointing, as I said, you don't need to be taught, but Jesus' anointing keeps on teaching. Isn't that a great news? Isn't that great news? The Holy Spirit in your heart keeps teaching you. So you already have the truth, but that truth keeps rolling out further and further and richer and richer. That's why Dwayne Rude may not have read the books you've read, but he already has the essential truth. And you do as well, whether you're studying a lot or a little. Now, this is, again, this is not the place for me to say, do your Christian disciplines, read your scripture. Those are good for you. But there's nothing else that you need if you believe in the Holy Spirit. All that will do as you read Scripture, as you're with your brothers, as you pray, that will just unfold the truth like a, I don't know, like a paper airplane or something. As you're folding it, there's more and more inside. It keeps unraveling. That's a terrible metaphor, but you get what I'm saying. As you're unpacking, it's like, there you go, it's clowns in the clown car, right? There's like eight of them there to keep coming out. That's what the Holy Spirit is like in your life. I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, but sure, it works. As His anointing teaches you about everything... And now we're back to the beginning. And is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So this is the wonderful news we have, friends. Jesus Christ has done everything that you will ever need to do to satisfy Father God. I've got cold, so I'm disgusting, I'm sorry. Jesus has done everything you need to do to satisfy Father God. He has banish the parts of your life that keep you away from him, he is breaking them down one by one. One of the the quickest ways to grow in Jesus Christ, it's that sin you're wrestling with, pray that God breaks anything necessary to get rid of it. Also, buckle up if you pray that way. But I'm serious. If you're struggling with the sin you can't beat, I should be preaching this to myself, start asking God, what do you need to cripple so I only have you? That comes from the Holy Spirit, okay? All right, let's close with this. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Friends, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Christ, that God, was ra- that God raised Jesus from the dead and he's alive now at the throne in heaven, if you believe that, you're a believer your eternal life is secure. Nothing you can do will separate you from the love of God. You're guaranteed to only receive more and more of that. And here's what's really exciting. As non-believers, this is to back to the beginning of it, if you're in the antichrist category, every bad thing that happens to you is a foretaste of judgment to come. That's scary. Think about, if you if, if you're a believer, take a second to do the thought experiment. What if everything in your life was a presage, was a preface, was a foreshadowing of the difficulties that come being separated from God? If you're a non-believer, you think life is tough? Try doing it without Jesus and his mercy to you, even when you're not looking to him in faith. But if you're a Christian, every bad thing that's ever happened to you is teaching you how to abide in him. And when we're in heaven, I really believe that all the broken bones, all the hard things, we'll look back and say, I could have lost it, but that happened at just the right time and kept me in the mercy of God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, 
thank you that you have made us new creatures, new people in your spirit. Thank you, God, that you are the truth to us, that rather than believing the lie, you have revealed yourself to us, the total and complete truth. Thank you, God, that if we trust in you, we can abide in you forever. God, would we lay back like floating in a pond, relaxing in the immeasurable grace and riches of Jesus, the love you have for us? Would we stop dog paddling and fighting and kicking to try to stay in some good place? And instead, would we throw ourselves at your feet towards your mercy, knowing you will catch and uphold us in Jesus Christ? God, would we listen to the calling of your spirit? If there's anyone here today who doesn't believe in Jesus, God, I pray that you would afflict them with the darkness of their sins and that instead they'd see the wonderful beauty and grace in Jesus who died for each and every foul word or deed they've ever done or ever will do. God, for the believers in here, for those who are in a great place, would they trust and enjoy the abiding truth and abide in you? And for the struggling believer, God, would they hear your love and mercy so loudly today that they know that you've accomplished everything for them, that they don't add a cent or a penny to what you've done? God, will we fall backwards into your arms of mercy knowing that you uphold us and that you will hold us and abide with us until we abide with you forever in the heavenlies to praise you and enjoy you and there will be no end. Amen.